0: This is the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast for November 1st, 2016.
1: so after what a year (laughs) it's
0: been about a year since uh since we last did one of these so hi everybody thank you for being here thank you for your patience uh your considerable patience um some things have happened uh in our lives since the last time you heard from us Uh, i live in new york now uh, and I'm actually moving to a different place within New York and all that stuff. And I've been traveling the world for the day job and all that kind of stuff. Lucio, you've been doing little things like uh, I believe you have uh, you have two children now rather
1: than yeah, one. yeah yeah you know just just little things <laughs> just adding another you know creature to the meat. So yeah yeah <laughs> the great
0: the great meat exactly. So uh, you know congratulations on that. I've Thank told you, you this in real life a million times, but I have it on the podcast. So like the podcast version of me. This character that I do that I've been working on has not congratulated the character version of you for the, for adding <laughs> to the canon. Uh, Is there
1: a? a, a new... <laughs> oh god, well that's that's a. I like your segue there. That's a good uh, good way to do it. Well, time time we'll see who he ends up shipped with, but uh, I don't know. I don't I don't even know if he's you know if he's cis- Hetero. I, I don't know what his uh, I don't know what he codes as yet. He's still kind of.
0: Well, I think uh, I think it would be socially progressive and important like I think for for balance within the franchise he has to be something other than I
1: kind of feel that way too just because you know my parents were you know my parents are um lesbian so I feel like you know it it wouldn't make sense for him to be straight at this point like he kind of has to go a different route so thematically thematically. yeah yeah. I mean you know just because I I was straight so I kind of disrupted that whole thing so I think we got to get back to you know what's what's the core focus here (laughs) Hey, everybody. So what the fuck are we
0: talking about right now? Uh, here's here's what we're talking about right now. So so what we want let to... Me, let me take one step. Let me actually take like six steps back. So this is what I would consider season two of the podcast. We took a one-year hiatus. Uh, we are sort of diving back in. Uh, rethought what the site is a little bit. Uh, and we in the very first episode, I talked a little bit about why I think geek culture as, as sort of a, a way of being in the world... Uh, still has value, um, and and I, I actually talked about what I what I called the utopian uh, version of geek culture. Like geek geek geekiness is a mode of consumption, right? Where you're just really really into stuff and you make a wiki about it, and uh, and all of that, right? Uh, geekiness is also like a, a traditional set of interests involving dragons and zombies and things. But but there's this this other aspect well, of it. Well, real I
1: th- quick, I, th- I think it's also worth mentioning that uh, you know especially in the pre-internet age, it was a very um, I, mean, I could be wrong, but I feel like, you know, having been a part of it growing up in, like, the, you know, 90s, and it probably started more, like, in the, you know, a long time ago, maybe, like, it really started to come to fruition in the 50s and so on. Um, I feel like prior to the internet, it was actually a very positive thing. You know, it was, it was geek culture sort of has its roots in these sort of niche groups uh, where it was exciting to meet people who were into the same thing as you. And so usually, you know, small groups of people would come together who might not otherwise, um do so maybe they were a or this the thing they were into wasn't was more on the fringes so i think that's an important distinction to make too just given where it's gone today because i feel like definitely definitely growing up it was much more fringe and yeah you you tended to see these little pockets of people who you know were more or less positive positive influencing each other's lives because their circle was so small that it was really them only interacting with a group that you know they could really uh, connect with and agree with and etc., etcetera et
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I totally agree, and I think that I, it, it's not that you know having small insular communities isn't without its problems. It's that they're very different problems from once you're the mainstream, and potentially, I think I think we've talked before about how once you, if you've been bullied and then you find yourself in a position of power, one of the hardest things is to keep yourself from becoming a bully yeah. yourself, right? Yeah, that's one of the the trickiest things in life, and one of the shittiest things about people, but it's real, right? But 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 so, what what I said in that first episode, I think was was that. If all we gain from geek culture becoming mainstream, right, from, from Game of Thrones being popular and the Avengers being popular and continuities and dragons and things, if all we gain <laughs> is that mainstream pop culture moves half an inch and people who used to be marginalized geeks start acting like, you know, mainstream content producers and consumers, then we've gained very, very little. What I hope we can keep some of as geek culture enters the mainstream is some of that sort of open-hearted, meeting other weirdos, finding out what you have in common and and learning about more weird shit, that ethos. I think that's a lot more valuable than any individual interest or in the sort of, uh, you know, obsessive in and of itself way of consuming media. Uh, that's that's something that is that is actually sort of better than the way that mass media has worked outside of geek circles and it's something that I hope we can sort of foster and hang on to this yeah. being a, a while <laughs> later uh, you know since I said that I think what we're gonna talk about today is sort of the state of geekdom um what what is going well what is going
1: badly and what is simply confusing to us Um. I think it's interesting to measure, especially because the, the, you know, coming into this, the, the articles that you, uh, sent to me and that I kind of dived into and, you know, things going on were a little more on the negative side. I mean, and you know, like, like with all news, you know, what's maybe positive doesn't exactly get reported, you know? So, you know, a case in point, you know, like my, I think that I think we talked about it on here. Maybe not. Maybe it was a separate, uh, podcast with my other friend, but you know, um, my daughter grew up being really into My Little Pony, and that presented all sorts of uh, interesting sort of observations on geek culture because my daughter's obviously the the demographic that the show is kind of made and catered for. Um, but then there's this other demographic that sort of treats the show as though it is... Uh, I don't know. If I, I guess I can say something more because I don't think it was intended to be what it sort of evolved into, but... Um, that particular group can kind of make the, I guess we'll call it, the geekdom look a little ugly in some ways. I, I think I saw. And
0: you're, we're here. Here we're talking not exclusively, but but predominantly about the the Brony culture around.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, um. So so in that thing, you have like you know the positive and the bad. So you, like you were saying, you know, um, the positive is that they they find something to identify with. that really kind of creates this sort of culture of. Uh, you know, new friends and, you know, new people who they, people, they feel like they can connect with. But then, like you said, the, uh, the other end of it is that then they sort of become the bullies and anyone who disagrees with the way that they view the media is wrong and should be, you know, not be a part of that culture as far as they are concerned. And that's sort of what we're, I think we're going to get into as far as like, um, like let's say the, uh, the Steven Universe uh, article that I <laughs> read. Um, yeah, so there's so so we'll get into that in one second, but but first I want to sort of state
0: the parameters. So I think bronies are a really good example of of both the positive and the negative. I mean those, you yeah, know, that's I would, that's a group I would of agree. folks who who. They they raise money for charity and they you know there's there's uh you know both both in uh, their own sort of geekdom and, and fandom and and outside of it right when whenever there's a humble bundle still I believe uh, it certainly happened for a long time there's the humble bronies collective that tries to outdo collectively whoever the highest individual donor was and like oh, there, wow. there's a lot of that kind of stuff but then there's the sort of you know uh, maybe maybe uh, so, some of it you know is, is maybe just icky to an outsider and maybe that's okay right like it's just it's just weird <laughs> specific. You know, uh, you know, goopy. Here's my original character, and here's a here's a weird, cheesy video about them stuff. Like, if we find it weird or, or it's not for us, that's fine. It's literally not for us. But then there's also the maybe exclusionary thing where this cartoon that was originally for kids is is sort of like, well, well what are kids doing here? You know, like there, it can go to that extreme.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's not our passion, right? Like, like, if like if, uh, if your daughter were here, we would talk to her about that, maybe, and that, that would be interesting, and maybe we will do that at some point. But yeah. I think in order to, to find a way into this conversation, you and I are going to talk about uh, two things. Well, Actually, one thing that you got me really, really into, which is Steven Universe, and one thing that I got you really, really into, which is Dark Souls, Yes, uh, and how we both enjoy those things quite a bit, uh, I would say. I would agree. Uh, but the, the, fi- the broader fandom of each is... Um, at least very different from from sort of what we get out of those things, and maybe even is kind of unrecognizable. Like it, it, almost feels to me in both cases like like the the people who are most into it and most actively you know blogging about it and stuff, uh, making fan art that they're experiencing a totally different show and a totally different series of games than I am.
1: Oh well, yeah, and uh, and that's a weird feeling. Yeah, and I mean the the article that you um, mentioned. What reading that was interesting because yeah, like you said, I. I thought several times going through it. And I mean, do we want to get right into it or do you have a little more? Um, yeah, let's get into it. Let's,
0: so the article is called, uh, it's It's by uh, somebody on Medium uh, named Riley H. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, I got linked to this on Twitter. I, I do not remember how originally I, I encountered it. So sorry for not giving attribution or, or the hat tip there. But the article is called All of These Black Characters and Zero Done Right. Uh, how Steven Universe Fails Its Black Fan Base. Part one, There there is at time of uh, recording no part two.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, this is sort of an interesting extension of the, uh, the, uh, My Little Pony phenomenon that we were talking about because just yesterday, actually, um, and, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday when we were playing games, um, I was having a conversation with Haley about how, um, I really, my, Haley, Haley's my daughter. I just realized I might not have made that clear. Um, I didn't know if we were using names, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's fine. That's fine. No, oh, you know what? Actually,
0: she's been in the show notes because the harmonica
1: segues are exactly. her and she got exactly. credit. So yeah, yeah. Haley. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I was talking to her about one of the things I love about the show is that, uh, it doesn't shy away from a lot of sort of, um, I guess you could say for lack of a better word, adult issues, um, or maybe, uh, adolescent issues that you experience growing up, you know, um, things like, uh, abandonment, um, you know, uh, God, there, there's so much, uh,
0: yeah, I mean, abandonment, I right. mean, like, re- being a kid and realizing that your your parents had uh, relationships not just with each other, and that they had a whole life before you, and you fit into it, but it, it's not all about you, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's stuff in there about, uh, I mean, argue, depending on how you read Garnet, about, like, dissociative personality disorder, maybe, or yeah. how, like, people, people <laughs> who are not stable individually can be stable together, or vice versa, if you start getting into uh, Lapis and Jasper. Uh, so so yeah I mean like dysfunctional relationships functional relationships uh, all of that stuff uh, loyalty boundaries like all of that stuff is really baked into the show. yeah
1: and so and for me though what it all comes back to uh, and one of the right reasons I like the show is that it doesn't in a way that it, it's it's um, it's very obviously catered for the uh, I guess you could say the all ages market I mean I don't know how much. I don't know how much there's the, you know, the conscious thought like, well, this particular episode or this particular thing is for a kid or this particular thing is for an adult. But um, the show always feels like to me um, it's sort of taking that, I don't know, parameter into consideration. Obviously, it's aired on the Cartoon Network, so that means that first and foremost, kids will see it. Um, But it also means that they have the... uh, the capacity to, you know, really look at it from a broad perspective. And so that means that they can't say things directly like, um, you know, uh, Hey, you know, amethyst is an allegory for, you know, child abandonment. And, you know, uh, arguably, depending on how you want to look at it, you know, a child of, uh, war and all of these things. Um, I mean, she's
0: a war orphan. I mean, on a certain Uh, reading, that's, that's sort of who she is in the world.
1: Well, I guess what I was just going to say, but what, what I, uh, but what I like about the show is that it, it takes the more, uh, I guess you could say, like, kind of soft, inquisitive approach, which some people might find bad, and I think this article does. But for me, what I like about it is that it, it makes it approachable for children. It makes, you know, these sorts of case in point, you know, like conversations with my daughter, That that's what sort of gives them a uh, an inception. Like, we, my daughter and I might not have had that conversation about how, um, you know, and specifically I'm referring to when we were talking about uh, the fact that Rose Quartz is sort of one of the um, – pivotal characters in the, in the series, but we never see her really, except for, you know, other people's perspectives and sometimes video. Um, you know, everything is sort of, um, third party, all, all, all of the ways that we know her, there's stories told by, you know, Stephen's dad. So we kind of have the unreliable narrator that we you know the most recent episode was a diary from the what, like kind of like 1600s type era, um, you know, explorer thing. And, uh, and, and so all that just to say that, um, What I was telling her is that I like the fact that you have this character who, for all intents and purposes, is to be revered and admired. And obviously, you know, through the lens of our main character, Steven, you know, he really wants to know about her. And then when he does end up learning about her, it's not always the way he pictured it. She's done bad things like, you know, killing someone, the the equivalent of killing someone for these um, alien creatures called gems, uh, which is depicted in the show as being kind of something that even the worst gems never do. Um, And so my my point to her was just that, you know, oh, it's a really good way of looking at how um, war is not that simple. You know, good people do bad things. Bad people are not always just bad. Everyone has families. Everyone has a stake, you know, one way or another. Some people don't have a stake politically, but they're just doing what they think is right for uh, their country or their people, blah, blah, blah. All that to say, I felt like it was a really positive conversation I was having with my daughter. And when we talk about the show, there's a very different way that we're parsing all that. So reading this article was interesting because I almost felt like we were talking about two completely different shows. Um, I, You know, when, when you read someone's perspective, I think it, it behooves you to kind of get into their head because otherwise you're going to end up rolling your eyes a lot. And, I mean, it would have been easy to read this article and be really dismissive. But nothing that this person wrote was... Uh, for lack of a better word, wrong. But I was just very surprised that they took such umbrage with all of these things that I kind of viewed as being positive and us seeing the same images in the same story, like it got warped into this really crazy bad thing for them. And so what did you think? Because, and I want want to ask you this because I want to know what you thought because this is an interesting person to read an article by because the second thing that he said, he, I think it's he, says... If yeah, yeah. I do not actually, care there's, about there's
0: a subgenre of people on Medium who their profile tells you which pronouns to use. And this yeah, is one yeah, of those people. <laughs> it does say yeah, he, yeah. him. So, yeah. and,
1: and his second parameter for discussing, he says, do you want to discuss this with me? His second parameter is, I do not care about white people's responses to this post at all. And
0: <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. And I,
1: yeah, that was a little, anyway, so, so what did you think? Well,
0: it doesn't matter what I think by the <laughs> author's own uh, parameters. No, it, but, no, it
1: matters uh, what you think. I just don't care. Oh, sure, 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 Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 right, right, right. And you shouldn't. Um, did you? <laughs> okay, well, so, so let me say one thing before we get into the specifics, which I think we need to, uh, which is, you know, as we're, as we're talking about, like, what geekdom means and how it operates, there's this awful thing people say sometimes when they argue online, where it's just like, well, it's just a show, it's cartoons, like, no, no code racially or sexually, it's just it's just a thing, you're just projecting. And, like, nothing means anything, man, all opinions are equal. And that's obviously bullshit. But mm-hmm. I think that what geek... Uh, geek culture or geekiness can sometimes do is make you fly in the other direction, which is to say, like, I'm so aware of semiotics that I can tell you definitively what this means, in all capital letters. (laughs) And I think what's great about Steven Universe, and this will be important as we talk about Dark Souls as well, is, is that they're interesting, just like you say, specifically because they leave that space open for multiple interpretations and a lot of possibilities and discussions to be had, but that isn't really how hardcore fandom operates. Hardcore fandom wants there to be an answer. So, so along those lines, you know, like you say that Riley H uh, starts the article by stipulating, you know, here's how I, here's how I read the, well, first of all, stipulating that white people's opinions don't matter, which, Hey, fair (laughs) enough. Uh, But, but then stipulating that, you know, here's how I see the characters as coding along racial lines Uh, gives, there's a little bit of wiggle room there because I guess some people think Pearl codes as white and some people think she codes as Asian, but yeah. goes on to say that that you know garnet is definitely black, bismuth is definitely black, oh, and I think that's part two. And then amethyst is definitely black, and and so 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 first of all, for anybody listening, like let's let's just define what we even mean by coding, right? So uh, there's a lot of like Disney villains who are fops. Who are not sort of canonically gay? They don't have gay relationships, but they certainly code <laughs> gay, right? The text wants you to. It, it, the text at least heavily implies that they follow along the the stereotypical view of what a gay man ought to be, right? Uh, you know, or Ursula from the Little Mermaid is very famously based on on uh, sort of the drag aesthetic, right? And maybe specifically on Divine, I think, or, or some other drag queen. I can't remember which one. Off the yeah, top I'm,
1: of my head. I'm not sure.
0: So that's a totally valid and actually a very important way of reading media, cartoons especially.
1: This is an aside, I think of uh, Jafar and Iago as being the sort of... uh... Yeah,
0: for sure. (laughs) Oh my god, yes, that's a great example, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, but then what's interesting about so you have to read car- cartoons especially that way, right? The crows in Dumbo or whatever. Like it's not that canonically, uh, yeah, It's yeah. not that they're they're black in the text in any way. It's that what they're doing with their jive talk with you know with white people doing those voices and and jive is probably what they would have called it at the time, has an element of blackface and it's uncomfortable or at least it should be. Mm. The thing about that reading though is is in the same way that you can say. You know, you, you should take the position that things mean things and, and that semiotics exist, but once you start saying, and I know exactly what the true meaning is canonically, <laughs> it's very possible to be subject to confirmation bias. So you you start saying, Well, I am seeing this bad stereotype there, uh, therefore this person must go. Code that, or this character must code this certain way, and therefore it's terrible because those stereotypes are there. It's like, but wait, you're, you know, it's it's possible to project. It's possible to take the explanation too far and get your own sort of, I don't want to say agenda, but your own, uh, your own hangups all wrapped up in there, you know. Yeah. Uh, so specifically, the article. We keep saying specifics, and it's been twenty minutes, and we haven't talked specifics. <laughs> so Let's get into it because uh, right. this is a big topic, right? We're we're, yeah. we're cutting off this hunk of cheese as best we can. So the article, uh, first of all, is premised on the idea that the gems, you know, code racially at all, which I I buy to a certain extent, certainly, right? Like like Garnet um, has big hips and an afro, uh, but you know, like I I think Garnet is supposed to code black. Let's let's see if we agree on that before we go any further.
1: Uh, I yeah, I, I would agree with you. Um, I think it I wouldn't even say falls apart. I think it just differentiates for me because I don't, um. I don't know that I look at each individual like like so. So this this article definitely takes the stance that each and in, each individual gem and each fusion and you know combination thereof has some sort of uh, racial coding. And I guess for me, I, I you know I can't. I, this would be interesting to ask you know Haley about. Like I never thought about it in terms of each individual. It's just that certain things stood out to me. So like you know the article asserts that. Um, garnet it codes black and and i would agree with that because she's voiced by estelle and she does have a wonderful afro and you know big hips and a full body and and i guess to me i just always you know interpret that as a positive thing because it's you know it's a positive depiction she's you know arguably the most powerful member of the group when they're just the crystal gems um she's a sort of de facto leader you know everyone sort of looks to her approval and wants her to uh you know um so so all that to say that you know with the other characters I guess it was just never as apparent to me and maybe the article would make the argument that that's sort of bad in and of itself because I'm only coding the obviously black person and not the other uh, gems. I mean, Amethyst, I mean, the article also asserts that Amethyst codes as black and, and refers even specifically to her African-American vernacular, which to me was never even that apparent to me. If anything, like you said, she kind of maybe coded more Latina, but you know, her voice actor is uh, Asian. I, I think I want to say maybe even Filipino. I, I can't remember, but you know, there's there's a lot of that stuff. And then this is, I, I mean, whether or not you think it's a part of the fandom as well. Because, you know, when you get into something, you want to know all about it, including the voice actors and the team involved. You know, those because those things come together, like Pearl and Amethyst both have Asian voice actors. So for me, it was never very clear whether they were supposed to be white or something else. And So for, for me, the, the hard thing to kind of swallow about the article is that you need to enforce that coding at all. And I'm not saying you shouldn't. It's just that for me, the show never worked along those lines it was really more about the individual personalities and again the article might say well okay but the bad thing is that it's taking those you know personality ticks from uh cultural or racial um you know profiling but i guess i just never saw it until i read this article and the article makes some pretty heavy assertions about you know what things are and again you know it's about the lens right because for this person riley h it's about the show is much is meant to be taken much more seriously than i might take it you know like like i talk about how the you know it has a broad parameter to uh, appeal to you know adults or kids and so for me like let okay so again you're right let's talk about specifics so one of the things yeah. the article asserts is that um okay so let, let, let's start I guess step by step is that the and spoiler alert I guess if uh you haven't seen all of Steven I'll Universe I'll put a big old spoiler warning <laughs> right up top we're gonna spoil yeah, the, we're gonna spoil
0: the living bejesus <laughs> out of both Steven Universe and Dark Souls over the and, course of this and it
1: is a great show and you, you should watch it if you haven't yet um so there's a really important I, I guess you could say arc or you part of the overarching story because uh, it's funny my wife and daughter are watching X-Files and um this show kind of does the same thing that I guess most shows do, but I, I don't watch a whole lot of TV. Um, there are these sort of like weekly or, you know, um, compartmentalized episodes that are just meant to be self-contained. But there's also an overarching story that goes from episode to episode. And one of the things that's part of the larger story is um, there is a part where uh, – I'm trying to think of the, the gentle way to say it compared to the way Riley says it. So Pearl basically betrays Garnet's trust because she – A sort of uh, lies – well, she lies to Garnet and and basically coerces her into a situation where they are fusing, which to anyone who is not familiar with the show um, is a very intimate, very special way of bonding and literally becoming one person from two people at a whole new um, personality and persona altogether. Anyway. Um, Riley, and to be clear, this is actually a really good example because
0: to me, fusion is a little bit ambiguous and in, in what it means in the real world. It's it has to do with intimacy. It has to do with coupling. Uh, Riley H reads it as being sex, right? Like yes, pretty specifically. Or uh, which, or at least I, think is, I was going to say like it a, like a, uh, like a, like an individual instance of fusion has to do with an individual sort of you know sexual coupling, right? Uh, and and. By that reading, the situation you're talking about with with, with betrayed trust and all that with uh, with Garnet and Pearl has, is a rape. Uh, the way yeah. the, the way Riley. I was gonna did. say.
1: So let's be clear. So Riley H is asserting that Pearl rapes Garnet. That that's you know in three words that that's the uh, the thesis, as it were, is during right. and a lot this... of what's
0: hard for Riley uh, after that is that there aren't sort of sufficient emotional consequences uh, given yeah. that that's what happened.
1: Yeah, and I think so. So and so to make my point, where where I read it differently is that, um, again, the show is meant to be for all people, including children. And I and I guess you could say that maybe it's tackling the issue of rape. But I think first and foremost, at you know, if we take into the context the fact that the show is for kids, uh, in some capacity, it's first and foremost just about the surface level of being honest and open with people. You know. Um, I think one of the things that the show does is really try to assert a certain level of positivity. Like, um, I don't know if it's in this podcast or just, you know, face to face, but you and I have talked about how it's our two of our favorite shows that exist side by side, just in terms of, you know, like the being contemporary or Steven universe and Rick and Morty and Steven universe to me has always taken the approach that, um, you know, life is really positive and, uh, wonderful and beautiful while Rick and Morty is a little more nihilistic. (laughs) Um, So for me, the show is obviously trying to make—I think—trying to make the assertion that yes, you can really, really, really mess up in life and betray someone's trust, even someone you love, when you thought you were just doing something for you know uh, that you thought was sort of innocuous, but really meant a lot more to one person. And I always took it as the reason there's no—I mean, there is a big fallout, but she's—but you know, Riley H is right in that it doesn't change the dynamics of their relationship. And I think for me. One, that there's the element of, uh, you know, in, in an animated world, typically consequences only matter so much. I mean, you know, a great show will make, uh, you know, uh, the consequences of your action matter. But at the same time, there's a certain status quo that has to be retained. And in this case, it plays to the lesson that I think the show is trying to impart to people, which is that, you know, if you mess up really, really, really bad, you own it. It takes a minute for things to get better, but things can get better. Because I, I think it would be counter to the show's tone if... You know, Garnet could never, ever, ever trust Pearl again because this show takes the approach that you know you kind of that you can work through things that are you know in a relationship. And again, the ambiguity of um, of uh, fusion, I think, is what's at play here because Riley H takes it very seriously and looks at it as you know sex, and that and that is a different thing. You know, if it was, if you do interpret it as sex and you look at you know what Pearl does to Garnet as you know sexual assault or rape, then yeah, it becomes a much more severe issue. Um, For me, it, it. it plays more to the idea that, you know, it's teaching kids, yeah, you know, Pearl really messed up. She hurt Garnet's feelings a lot. And you do have to apologize and you do have to own it. But, you know, I, I don't know. It, it gets tricky for me. What I mean, And, and again, even say- if you're
0: viewing Fusion <laughs> entirely as sex, that ambiguity is useful as far as thematics, right? Because, uh, I mean, Girls also in, I think it was the second season, caught a lot of flack for, for dealing with the same thing where... Uh, the uh i don't know if you've seen girls come to think of uh, i haven't i've um,
1: heard i've heard mixed things but i've heard that it's good if, if for no words reason for starting conversations
0: <laughs> mixed is just the kind of things you should be hearing because it's a it's a mixed bag right like parts of it are some of the most brilliant stuff that's ever been on tv and it gets to this weird point where it starts hating its characters <laughs> and that that got hard for me uh but but there's this there's this uh one pretty uh you know sort of infamous sequence where adam uh the character who you might know as kylo ren uh he oh, adam um, driver, yeah
1: that's where he got his start, right?
0: Uh, yeah, that was kind of his first, like, really, really big role. And he's amazing in it. You sort of start out not being sympathetic toward him at all, and he, he ends up being a lot of people's favorite character. But then after that, he has this encounter with a woman that, like, sort of blurs the lines of consent. Like, like I would not say it's probably out-and-out rape. She's just doing stuff she's not quite comfortable with, and, and mm. that and that drove people crazy. A, because they were saying, like, because it's ambiguous, is this, you know, are you being a rape apologist, you know, as a writer? Uh, and B, you know, is it not speaking with a clear enough voice? And C, why would this character do that? But I thought it was sort of a powerful scene, because I think a lot of uh, intimate encounters in real life that that people end up Uh, you know, regretting or or that end up being things they have to work through later are like that. They're not really clear in quite that same way, right? Like let's be totally clear. There are lots of things that happen every day in the world that are unambiguously rape, right? And that's horrifying. and, And it's, and it's something that, Uh, that, that, you know, men especially need to just, like, own up to not being okay on any level. But I think there's also a lot of people in the world just doing stuff sexually and intimately and in relationships and whatever that they're just, like, not quite sure they're okay with, but they're also not quite sure they're not. And that's a part of life, too, and a much harder one to explore, and exactly the kind of sort of weird emotional register that something a little bit more allegorical and open-ended, like Steven Universe, has the space to explore in an all-ages way. Mm-hmm. And I think you lose that when you sort of try to pin down the act of fusion to a more you know specific, consistent, singular meaning.
1: Yeah, and I, and you know and I will say so. So this article was kind of good and hard to read because I'm, I disagreed with most of it. Um, but as I said, I really tried to get into this you know uh, reader's head, and it's you know it sort of made me think uh, you know kind of the expression there. But for the grace of God, you know, I was exposed to a lot of the racial stuff, you know, really early on because, you know, I am black and Mexican and, um, my mother was very, I guess you could say for lack of a better word, uh, kind of aware of all of this stuff going on, you know, in our culture and in our history and wanted me to also be aware of it. And I was a pretty serious kind of sad kid, you know, like I read the autobiography of Malcolm X when I was like 11 or 12. And um, I remember that man. I remember that was... being in your, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, and so in so, a certain extent, you know, I I totally get where you know Riley H is coming from, and and I can see how you would read into all of this stuff in that way because you know um, we've come far and we still got really far to go. Uh, I don't know if you saw the um, the uh, the speech that was trending for a little while on the I think it was like the BET Awards or something, and young actor, or I think I can't remember his name, but he gave a speech that people really loved. Um, and uh, this is just an aside, I'm, I'm saying, and it was kind of hard for me to agree with, because one of the things is he said, you know, oh, people who say we've come really far, like, you're wrong, like, we've we've come nowhere, and like, and I felt like that really diminished it, but anyway, so so I'm saying that this, to me, this kind of reads as sort of that approach, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of uh, validity in the, in the observations Riley H makes, um, I think that, you know, it's good that they're being talked about, and I, I think it's really important, uh, I, I, I'm fascinated about how how you could get there from here i guess that that was the hard jump for me to make um can't get there from here yeah yeah well, I, I hear you I do. in the in, in the sense that you know I, I rather than rather so and this is kind of gets back to i guess what we're talking about at fandom rather than looking at it as like you know maybe beginning the article with if we look at things this way what does this maybe say about these parts of our culture it's oh this is what the show is doing the show is racist, and that was sort of a hard jump for me to make because I have a really hard time seeing the show as intentionally that, you know, or you know, you know, I, I don't think Rebecca Sugar sitting in her office looking at, you know, in, in the article he refers to, you know, the Jezebel uh, phenomenon in, you know, uh, early American culture and how that came out of the, you know. Depiction of black women from Africa is very exotic, and you know, like put in cages, and and that's a real thing, and that that is sort of you know horrifying that that was, you know, how we viewed you know black women, like oh their hips are crazy wide, and you know, um, let's put them in a museum, yeah. No, like, there's a lot of awful statues and stuff like that, but but
0: but I, I think the the point you're making is that <laughs> wow, I just jumped in and white explained this.
1: No, 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 the point the point I'm <laughs> making is is I just wanted to say it. It's hard because at some point. You can, I guess, I mean, this is going to sound like an oversimplification and obvious, but like you can't please everybody. Like Garnet needs to be, for I think, for the purposes of her character design and for the voice actor and for the fun that Rebecca Sugar had in designing her, she has to be overtly black. And let, let's say that because that was sort of the intention, I think, of her design. And so, in a sense, you have to play to that a little bit, I would argue. Um, because kids are watching it and you want them to sort of recognize the things that you can make more intentional like you know when you like you know one of the, the arguments the article also makes is that uh Pearl's femininity is the core femininity of the show that you know in this world where Steven is one of the few men and most of the characters especially the gem, all of the, the gems as far as we've seen are you know uh, female you know at least in their depiction um, you know to do fusion you have to dance and so the article is saying that Pearl's femininity or, you know, the quote unquote white femininity is always, you know, the purest depiction of femininity in the show that when, um, Garnet and, uh, I think it's Amethyst. No, no, no. When Pearl and Amethyst fuse, uh, Pearl is always the feminine sort of Dancer and Amethyst takes the role of the the masculine dancer, and then the same thing with Garnet. Pearl is the feminine dancer, and Garnet is the masculine dancer. Um But to me, I mean, I feel like the interchangeability of that, the inter- interchangeability of that, those roles, is what's sort of at the core of Garnet's character because she is a very you know feminine character, and she's also a very masculine character, which to me is sort of. I, I mean, Riley H would probably strongly disagree, but I think that's one of the the most one of the core. Characteristics of trying to create a positive uh, portrayal of Black women in media. We want to see them as both at the same time, right? And I think Garnett achieves that. But Riley H is arguing that she's only the sort of exotic Jezebel um, portrayal. That that she's only exotic for the sake of, I guess, being other. And and I would disagree with that. But I would say that the the purpose of doing. Of of the creating Garnet the way she is is to make it recognizable to children so that when children you know see a really full hipped you know and especially girls when they see like a full hipped you know natural hair wearing black woman they think oh that's like Garnet I love Garnet that's you know what I mean like totally. it, it's about those small connections and and I think that that's... normalizing it yeah exactly exactly so anyway I talked a lot well with so, it. <laughs>
0: so so what, it's interesting. Because you were saying that like, you know, uh, that the article would be a little and, and we're totally not shitting on this, this uh, article on Medium, by the way, like we're, we're saying we learned a lot from it, that it just like it sounds sometimes like it's talking about a show other than the one we're watching. And that's fascinating, right? The, the, you were saying that it would be a little bit uh, easier to sort of swallow whole if it stipulated like, hey, we're starting with these assumptions and proceeding from there. It kind of does do that, just in sort of a weird sideways way. Uh, The first bullet point under, want to discuss this essay with me? Know this, says, if you'd like uh, an explanation of why I use the specific coding, ask me privately on Twitter. It is not the purpose of this essay, which is mostly aimed at people closer to my circles in the fandom and fans of color.
1: And that even seemed a little more ambiguous to me. I wasn't quite sure what that meant. Because I'm a fan of the show and I'm a person of color, so I thought... Is he? I couldn't tell if he was saying that it, it's meant for me, but but I couldn't have disagreed with the article more in a lot of ways. So
0: that dependent clause fucks it up, right? Because it draws this weird equivalency between th- this this uh, not even really defined, right? It isn't like they're like a group. It's almost, name, it's almost but, like
1: it's saying that people of color obviously could never enjoy this show, and and I <laughs> and that that's bizarre to me. Or,
0: or at least that they're all going to agree about the readings, right? And yeah, and, yeah, and, and exactly. So, there are man. People use the word "woke" too much these days. I think, but it's a good word. Uh, enlighten me,
1: because I'm I'm a little behind.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Well, so so it's supposed to refer to people, especially uh, especially people who are privileged, uh, who are aware of their privilege and are sort of aware of the history attached to it. So you know, mm. like, uh, I So so just the other day on Twitter, uh, so my my wife uh, Lauren does a lot of like kind of activist stuff about like representation in theater. And uh, somebody really she good stuff. has like, like
1: can we can we plug her? I've really been enjoying. Let's plug it. the
0: shit out of it. It's called Project Am I Right, and it's about how uh, actors themselves have agency as far as representation uh, on stage. Uh, that you know what you audition for and what discussions you try and have with your fellow actors and with the creative teams, uh, the other side of the table, and all that stuff can affect the way the work comes out and make it a better. Uh, frankly, less cringy <laughs> than it sometimes is, especially in musical theater, representation of race, of gender, of, of everything, but especially of, of ethnicity and, and and those kinds of things. Uh, and I would
1: really, I would personally really recommend it because uh, your Lauren's, I from what I've seen so far, really really incredible about keeping things so even-handed, but also making really really great points. She's, you know, I I have really I've really been enjoying it because she's she's uh, really wants. Actors to not feel bad for doing the things they have to do in their career, but just to think and I think that's such an important distinction to make because a lot of what fandom does is it wants to force you to behave and to do a certain thing and uh... Yeah, Lauren. Lauren's just out to just get people thinking and talking and, and interacting, right? And, and reconciling. And I, I think that's a that's a great stance to take. So, sorry, I just really wanted to plug it because I feel like it's a really important. She's a really important voice to have, and you know, it, it especially because you know, Broadway fandom is a whole, and acting fandom is a whole other thing <laughs> that we could get into. But, uh, it, but it, but it has a lot of similarities in how people, you know, relate to each other and how people treat each other. So
0: yeah 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 and how, and how it's usually like the same sort of uh, two extremes we've been talking about where some people are very very militant about there being a way forward and here are the parts you should definitely never audition for uh, and then some people are like well it doesn't even matter you know may the best actor get the job it it's just whatever you know anybody can play anything Jonathan Price <laughs> can play a Vietnamese guy in in, uh, in, uh, in Miss Saigon you know it's, it's totally fine right um, which happened by the way um, I'm looking forward but, to seeing uh, Michael
1: Caine in uh, Fences just you know so <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you
0: know, in a more enlightened age. Um, <laughs> when we're really post-racial, that'll happen. Yeah, but I, so so that very long walk, which I'm really glad we plugged Project MI right, which I'll link to uh, in the thingy. Uh, Down below the the show notes. The reason I said that was you know a a friend of hers who had worked with her on stuff like that and had acted with her, but it had you know hadn't like come over to the house and hadn't met me and whatever. uh, I guess saw my Twitter profile and was like, "Oh, your your husband is white. That must be one woke ass white man." Ooh. Uh, So so what I what what I think the the word woke denotes is somebody who is privileged is aware of their privilege, but it's also like the word I, I to me anyway seems to have this like very slightly. Not condescending, but like very like slightly sarcastic aspect to it of of like, well, look at you. You get a cookie for understanding the basics yeah. of how race relations work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so so all that to say, I, I think there's there's an assumption in this essay that anybody who is I don't even I don't even know if the essay does allow for woke white people, right? But but it assumes that anybody who's close well, doesn't care white to the think, way that he's so. reading the show uh, is automatically going to agree about this stuff, but but okay. So what I was I, I was actually going to make a different point. So if you okay, are go. if you are woke, right, <laughs> then what, there are certain images that do evince an entire shitty racial history. Um, Riley talks about this in ter- in uh, the. Um, the uh the the person or the fusion or the, the body of Sardonyx, right? Yeah
1: that
0: the, the white gloves and the super presentational style maybe is a little bit minstrel-y, right? Yeah. Like like that actually is one of the more valid points, and we haven't talked about Sugalite yet, but some of that stuff I think
1: is pretty valid too. <laughs> we can get to that, because um, that was probably the, the more valid points that Riley made. Yeah, that, so, that, uh... so
0: there are certain markers that do evoke a whole crazy racial history. Like you get a character who's black or half black or whatever, who has white gloves and and is a showman, and you sort of of are evoking the entire crazy history of minstrelsy i don't however buy that as soon as a character has wide hips and an afro you're evoking the entire history of exoticism and jezebel and all that like i i just i don't buy that you know
1: uh no i i would agree i don't either um it's – yeah, so so to be cl- – so I guess let's move on to a second point because I, I don't know how much more we can talk about um, the, the sort of – Oh, we can do this rape. thing all day, man. <laughs> well, we, we've sort of covered the, the rape analogy. So let's move on to a second big point that um, Riley makes, which is in the presentation of, I, I guess you could say, the black, the, the black woman uh, – the strong black woman as being, uh, to quote, insane, violent, and angry – uh, versus the, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, the biracial black woman who is more, uh, subdued and classy and, uh, so forth. So, uh, to be clear, Garnet, let, us start with that, with that, the fact that Garnet, um, sort of codes as black, I guess, which we both sort of assert that we agree with, um, when Garnet- and again,
0: so so I mean, she is voiced by a black woman, right? Yes, so that yeah. She's voiced by a black <laughs> British woman, and she's and she codes black and has a British accent. So yeah. not that that has to be one-to-one. That's actually really interesting to me in voice acting, you know, that people can do dialects and stuff like that. And how much mm-hmm. should they is a, a very big topic in the voice actor community. You know, and, and how different is that when it's a show where one person does multiple voices, like Hank Azaria doing Apu? Uh, on The Simpsons yeah, versus where yeah. everyone does one voice, like Allison Brie uh, doing Diane Nguyen on BoJack Horseman, right, where the mm-hmm. character is Vietnamese, but it kind of never matters on the show that she's yeah. Vietnamese. So Actually, I would, that, I would say white? that I would say that
1: yeah, I would say that uh, she, Diane, and uh, Pearl are sort of an inversion because I listened to Pearl when I first started the show and I had no idea the voice actor was Asian, uh, and then I listened to Diane and she sounded just like you know tons of. Asian girls with the, I guess, lack for a better word, like kind of white-speaking dialect that I went to school with, and I had no idea that it was, oh, it's actually a white woman. So it's kind of funny, yeah, because it kind of doesn't matter in the voice acting world in a certain sense. Um, Again, you know, uh, your wife's uh, blog project, Am I Right, might have something to say about that. But um, We were actually talking about this just the other (laughs) night, and there's a great article that I'll link to about um, the history
0: of uh, I mean, and it's a good article because it's like, is this black face? Is this yellow face? I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that really you only get act, voice actors of color when you have showrunners of color. Um, the, ah. the sort of the most, the clearest example being the Boondocks, which is voiced with people who... I as a white dude who had never seen Friday, you know, uh, until relatively <laughs> late in life, like I didn't know who I didn't know who the fuck John Witherspoon was, right? Like I, but but it's yeah. an amazing voice cast, and I've seen those films since. It was like a really cool gateway drug for me. But yeah. that doesn't that doesn't happen in shows with with white showrunners usually, you know? Yeah, yeah. Typically, um, typically, typically. Yeah, and 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 by the way, for the record, as long as we're talking about uh, the ethnicities of voice actors, the uh, actress who does. Uh, who does Amethyst, uh, is named, uh, I think, Michaelia Dietz. And she, I'm probably pronouncing that super wrong. But in, in any case, she's South Korean. Okay, uh, there, you so, there you go. Okay. So, yeah, so, so Amethyst gets really interesting as far as her identity, and I think that's maybe the point you were going to go into.
1: So, yeah, so. Or were I, I, you so going to talk about the fusions? Yeah, exactly, because we wanted to just kind of okay. have a second point to jump off of. So, um, when Garnet fuses with Amethyst, they create uh, the being uh, Sugalite. And Sugalite is voiced by Nicki Minaj, who most people know best for being on the cover of. Uh, the Anaconda single, <laughs> and um, uh, right, right, and uh, and it, it's interesting because I, I would think it'd be, I I thought it was Nicki Minaj, but one of the things the show didn't do, and the article doesn't mention it, and I'm not saying this is t- to dismantle the article's argument, but it just it was fascinating oh. to me, is Nicki Minaj just talks? There, there's no like, you know, I could. There's a there's almost the expectation that when you kind of recognize it as Nicki Minaj's voice to kind of wait for Sugalite to maybe have a little more slang or whatever, but she retains a lot of the personality, and, and maybe this is credit to Nicki Minaj as a voice actor or to the writers or whatever, but she retains some of the personality of um, – of garnet and especially with the way she interacts with steven because she is i guess for (laughs) lack of a better word like a little aggressive and a little you know kind of like more confident and cocky but you you can still clearly tell that she's fond of steven and like the way she's interacting with him to me was really cute because it's sort of uh i don't know reminded me of like the cool aunt kind of persona when she you know Uh, she says you like that little man like she's just being having fun with steven and that part of garnet in the in the fusion to me shined through and even amethyst because amethyst also really loves steven and um so anyway, but the point that the article is making is that Sugalite is very much, again, full-bodied. Uh, I'm looking at her design right now. I guess she kind of has, th- th- not an afro, but like, you know, like, th- th- her hair has a lot of volume to it, let's say. And um, th- and in the episode, uh, Sugalite is very sort of, I guess for lack of a better word, unhinged. You know, the the, the, uh, the, ar- the article is making the argument that when Amethyst and Garnet are fused together, it's such a good matching that they sort of... Lose control of the character as it were, like the like the character is just allowed to kind of run wild because that's sort of uh, I, f- I forget what Garnet says in the episode with um Sardana. she says cause when she's saying they shouldn't be Sugalite, she says that you're what did she say you're rash and i'm something uh but whatever the case it, it, whatever the case it, 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 it's the results in sugalite and um and so to me, StuGlite was fun. I didn't really think of it the first time I saw it, but but the article makes an interesting point that um, you know that the, this sort of it could easily be read as a caricature of like the sort of you know ratchet trap, you know, black woman or whatever um, it, it is then made to kind of seem uh, one, uh, I, I guess, like I said, unhinged or uncontrollable, or like you know, oh, like that's not good, uh, and then two to to progress Pearl's you know character development and her sort of. Uh, arc, as it were um, and that and that could be problematic that 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 kind of made a little bit of sense to me, and i hadn't thought about it that way um, and then especially when you contrast it with sardonyx, who, as you were saying, kind of does invoke uh, or evoke a little bit the, the imagery of minstrelsy and you know uh, the article kind of gets for a minute really deep into the history of being mulatto or mixed race and how that affected you know uh, subcultures of you know uh, black race. And, you know, my uncle's, it's funny, the article talks about uh, how uh, he has a relative who's Creole and I also have a relative who's Creole. And we, I, I knew exactly what he was talking about when he talked about how, you know, being light skinned or being able to pass did really become like a part of the culture. Um, anyway, so all that to say that that part of the article, the assertion that Sugalite is, you know, kind of representing the the, the badness of being black and that you know, Sardonyx is sort of uplifting the idea of like, oh, the you know, the half black woman who's light skinned and marketable <laughs> Beyonce, um, you know, and that whole thing about uh, how that can be problematic. Yeah. Um, I, I did kind of agree with that. And not, not that it was so problematic, but I could see how you would you would get that if you were, you know, if that was your mindset. What did yeah, you think? Yeah,
0: for sure. Well, and it I, to me, the, the, the choice of Nicki Minaj as a voice actress is super interesting because a lot of her shtick. Uh, she probably wouldn't call it a stick. She might uh, is to sort of take some of that stuff that's generally considered, you know, too much or too extreme as far as black, black female sexuality and, mm. uh, you know, maybe normalize it or maybe just like weaponize it. Right. Like deploy it as something yeah. that is like a, you know, a former form or a locus of,
1: of power. Uh, that, yeah. like that's
0: what's going on in Anaconda, right? I mean you, when you, you have when can, you have
1: five black women bent over all holding each other's butts, I mean I think you're yeah, you're you're, you're obviously trying to say something there. Yeah, <laughs> it works
0: for you or it doesn't, but the intent is pretty fucking clear, you know. Um so 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 to me to have her in the person of Sugalite, you know, really states what the show is, you know. And and again, like if someone thinks the show fucked up on this point, that's totally fair, but what it's trying to do is clear like it, like it's not just a thoughtless you know, black plus black equals out of control, crazy violence, kind of thing. Like it's it's yeah. trying to make a point about about power and and uh, and all of that. Uh, but again, the reading of you know uh, of Sugalite as simply a a ratchet black girl, right? As the article says, depends on Amethyst being uh, black, which I don't like. The only real piece of evidence, so to speak, that's in the article is that she speaks African American vernacular English. But as you and I talked about before we started recording she speaks it sometimes, right? Like, yeah. that's the the whole thing with Amethyst is she sort of slips in and out of a bunch of different dialects. She well, sort of, uh, her behavior is maybe a little bit erratic, a little bit inconsistent. And Riley H. sort of sees that as more evidence that she's supposed to code black because, oh, she's a slob and she's lazy and whatever. <laughs> but but that's where the confirmation yeah. bias thing comes in, right? Because I don't know that, that you're, like, those things are problematic, uh, or, or if we're banning the word problematic, they're fucked up. Uh, <laughs> if... If she codes black, but to say that she codes black because of those things is maybe to put the cart before the horse a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If you're saying yeah. that if if you if you assume that because they fulfill a stereotype, they must code a certain way, and then that's bad because well they fulfill a stereotype. You're just you're. It's a little bit of a feedback loop.
1: Yeah, and let let's take a step back because I'm glad you said a feedback loop because so what's what gets hard for me I guess in in this argument about whether or not the the gems and their uh you know their fusion counterparts represent a specific race is that. Um, it's hard to tell what informs what in a sense, cause like Garnet's to me, even if you, if you look at like the pilot episode of, um, of, uh, of Steven universe where, you know, the, the character designs are much more different. Um, even then, you know, Garnet's design kind of resembles like a, you know, a more feminine Rick, like almost like Rick James eighties era, you know, black woman who had, you know, like baby shells in her hair. And the, you know, it was the kind of like, you know, weave and braids, um, Obviously, to to me, Garnet was always supposed to kind of be that representation of you know black femininity, uh, which I think was 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 intentional as far as like wanting to have that in a cartoon and have that represented. And and as you said, normalize it. You know, for kids who might otherwise not um, see that. I mean, I don't know what the demographics are, but I'm assuming probably tons of you know white kids watch Steven Universe and don't necessarily think about things consciously, like you know the depiction of black women in media and you know. um Anyway, but but all that to say that that to me seemed really obvious. So like, Amethyst is an interesting character because to me it's not so obvious what informs what. Is she supposed to be informed by, is her personality? And let, let's let's be clear. To me, that that's what is sort of at the core of all this is the personalities. Where where we differ is whether or not those personalities are based on like, uh, uh, sto- the historical story components. And what I mean by that is like you know the canon, I guess, of the story and what informs that uh, versus what element, uh, what, what, uh, design elements inform the character and built the personality from there. So, cause I think a lot of what Garnet is, is built from, yeah, part of it is from, you know, I think you do have to acknowledge that part of it is built from her design elements, which is, well, if we're going to depict this character as being black, let's be kind of aware of how we're depicting her, you know? And I think that that informs the fact that Garnet's very cool headed. That seems intentional to me. You know, she's one of the most lovable characters on the series. I feel like that was sort of intentionally crafted because she's the most, um, Maternal, I would argue with Stephen. You know, Pearl maybe being a close second, but sort of the overbearing maternal versus you know uh, Garnet being the very nurturing and understanding maternal. And in an Amethyst case, uh, you know, there's the argument that she speaks in African American vernacular English, blah blah blah. But I think that for me, I always saw Amethyst's character first. You know, she behaves the way she behaves and speaks the way she behaves because she's the youngest gem, and her fascination with Earth a lot of it comes from just seeing the culture. A lot of... So to me, she's sort of a mirror of the sort of contemporary modern culture, which is, to me, you know, like what's popular is black slang. And, you know, um, I guess for lack of a better word, like you black, you know, kind of like a uh, kind of humor, you know, like the reason... Uh, she behaves that way is because she sort of, quote unquote, thinks it's cool. Amethyst is sort of the representation of the younger girl who just, you know, grows up in this sort of interesting place. It actually, Amethyst kind of reminds me of, um, my mother, Javanka, you know, she was born in Panama, um, and lived there until she was, I want to say almost like a, like a teenager, like maybe 11 or 12. So when she came to the U S she was just blown away by black culture because, you know, she's very dark, looks black, you know, uh, but grew up, Thinking about things as far as like being Panamanian but when she saw, like, oh, I could be – I could identify as black and there's this whole part of my culture that I wasn't aware of because, you know, obviously, you know, uh, slaves were brought to the Caribbean and, you know, intermixed and, you know, I'm just as much, uh, you know, South, uh, Central American as I am black. You know, my roots go back to Africa and she really embraced that and, like, one of the things she did was um, she worked on her accent. So, like, if you listen to her talk, you'd never know that she was Panamanian in a sense because she doesn't have the the, the same accent as her mother who almost sounds more like um, – uh, like, uh, Kofi's mom, whose name I'm forgetting, not Gon- ganja gan. what's her name? Uh, I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting her, <laughs> but, boy but anyway. Yeah, she sounds, my- she
0: sounds like she's from that part of the world, right? Yeah, Whereas but- Javanka does not really sound that way at all today.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so my point is that, you know, Javanka, if you take her like at that age as sort of, you know, being a parallel of Amethyst, like she just embraced the culture and became a part of it. And that's how I always, I always saw Amethyst, is that she, she's like that because, not necessarily because of her quote-unquote race coding, but because in terms of just keeping the character consistent, she's just fascinated by everything new. She's the only one that eats because she likes human culture kind of the way Rose liked human culture. It's just like, I just want to enjoy this stuff. It's fun, you know. Uh, the way she talks is very natural, yes, but at the same time, you can tell that it's her sort of just like, you know, when she says, oh yeah, P, you know, talking about paradox. she's imitating things she's heard. It's not like she grew up black, you know, and that's just how she talks in a sense. Um, so yeah, sorry, that's a little totally. long winded, but but that that to me that no, no, was no, no, no. well. I think that's it, really
0: important because I think the show is very much about I mean like I don't think I'm saying anything controversial to say that Steven Universe is a show about the idea of self determination and identity. Yeah, yeah. Uh I mean again, since we're just spoiling everything, like a bit, the Crystal <laughs> Gems. Uh, like, exist as an organization, as a team, as a family, uh, specifically because they saw in, in Living on Earth the opportunity to decide for themselves what they should be in life, whereas in, in the gem home world, everybody is sort of born with a predetermined purpose, and it's sort of rigid in terms of, of socialization, right? Mm. So, like, the idea of, of carving out your own identity is is baked into the show. And, I mean, we haven't talked about this yet, but Garnet is is a representation of a hybrid identity. Like, that's one of the main things about her character is that on Homeworld, gems only fuse with their own kind, and wh- whereas Garnet is a ruby and a sapphire, right, with sort of yeah. a, a, a battle gem and a, a precognitive, you know, advisor gem or something like that, right? And that mm-hmm. that she is sort of the balance of those two extreme personalities, and that you know, like like it does not shy away from the idea that that this is sort of miscegenation as far as you know, Homeworld is concerned, right?
1: Yeah, like she is yeah.
0: she is in a sense mixed race, and she is in a sense. Uh, you know, like, like all of those things are in there, but I don't know that any one of them is the whole of how you're supposed to read it. I think it's exploring all those ideas of, of identity being complicated.
1: Yeah. And I think that the, the fusion argument falls apart a little bit there. Cause you just reminded me, yeah, Garnet is the combination of Ruby and, um, and, uh, Sapphire uh, Sapphire. And I, I don't, I don't, to me, Ruby doesn't necessarily code black and, uh, Sapphire doesn't necessarily code anything. So I, I don't. I think the argument falls apart a little bit because you you couldn't say that this plus this equals black because I, I never. There's no thing there <laughs> really. Like as you know, and, and I I think the show really tries to play with uh, with sort of uh, picking the right voice actor, as it were, because. To me, Nicki Minaj kind of made sense because you know you have this woman whose voice sounds the way it does. You know Estelle, and then you also have the voice actor for Amethyst whose voice sounds the way it does. And then Nicki Minaj is for what you know whether they was intentional or not. To me, it seemed like a really cool combination of the two. The same way that like with just most recently with Smoky Quartz, what the the voice actor they chose is really great because you can hear that sort of raspy amethyst, but you can also hear that sort of goofy Steven. So I I feel like maybe race informed a little bit of, you know, that I don't know which came first, like, Oh, Nicki Minaj as the, you know, let, let's, if Nicki Minaj is going to voice this character, let's design a character that sort of is reminiscent of her or, you know, Hey, we designed this character. Huh? This is interesting. Who would be, you know, whose voice would match this? Oh, it kind of reminds me of like Nicki Minaj. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's hard. like, like <clears> without yeah. knowing which came first, it's sort of interesting to think about what that informs because, like I said, to me, it seems, just in listening to the voices, that the voice the uh, the voice actors are chosen very intentionally to sort of resemble both characters at any given time because there are times Definitely. where Smokey Chord sounded a lot like Pearl and there were times where Smokey Chord sounded just like Steven and I don't think that was an accident. Right, totally. And I
0: mean, like, if you're... A lot of the effusions are voiced by uh, singers or performers of some kind and, and that fact is downplayed. I mean, the first one you... Opal's the first one you see, I believe, right? If you don't count yeah. darn it. Yeah. Uh, And she's voiced by Amy Mann. Right. So. So in this reading, like you could say, I mean, like, again, in Riley's reading, I suppose that would be white plus black equals the erasure of black or something like that. But, but, (laughs) But I don't I don't know that that's what the show is arguing in any sense. And I don't know that the text kind of bears that out in terms of how Opal plays, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, and Opal we've seen the least of, and and again, so you know we're talking we're, we got to remember too, like, and this is something that fandom is interesting about what fandom does because they get mad about to bring it back a little bit, you know, decisions that are made. You know, uh I don't know what Amy Man's schedule is like these days, but I would imagine that one of the reasons we probably haven't seen Opal and for that matter Sugalite again is because these are kind of high high profile people who you can't always just pull into a booth for a 10-minute cartoon. You know what I mean? Right, um, right, right. And so that, that that also informs the decisions about, well, why didn't we see Sugalite again? Or why did we set it up so that we won't always see sugalite Well, because you can't always afford to pay Nicki Minaj to show up. And there's even that little you know tongue-in-cheek callback on the most recent episode, No Your Fusions, where she says she doesn't actually appear in this episode. Do we still have to pay her? Oh, okay, right. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs>
0: right, right, right. Yeah. And that's and that's not just in the I mean, like, you know, like uh, Yellow Diamond was Patty Lapone, who is, uh, you know, who is a, a big, big old Broadway performer. And all oh, that, shit. And she I hasn't didn't know. That. Either. <laughs> yeah, that's that is Patty motherfucking LuPone. Um It was actually really cute watching Rebecca Sugar's uh, Twitter that night where she was like, you have no idea. This is this is Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd. This is a Vita. Do you have any idea, <laughs> people? You know, it was great. Um but uh, yeah, so okay, so this brings us back to the whole fandom thing, and there's been sort of an elephant in the room to my mind throughout this conversation. By the way, this has become a two parter. I think pretty clearly. I think we haven't yeah, gotten to the I, Dark Souls <laughs> stuff at all, and we've been going for an hour. So yeah. let's 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 make that happen. But let's finish up the Steven Universe conversation by talking about the other thing that's in the news, because um, this is this is sort of important. So recently, uh, there was a storyboard artist named Lauren Zook. Who tweeted out sort of an unused uh, panel that that you know, depending on how you were reading it, uh, maybe showed uh, Lapis Lazuli and Paridot flirting, right, or sort of implied that they were they were a couple in some way. And mm-hmm. this, I guess, is a long running uh, ship, a a long running uh, idea about what coupling you know could or should be like on the show. Uh, referred to generally as Lapidot. Uh, there's also an Amidot <laughs> uh, fandom. Uh, and, and so, you know, one of the other articles I sent you um, that, that we'll link to uh, was something that ran in Vox about this whole thing about fandom shipping uh, and how weirdly... Like, like it may be the clearest example of what we're talking about with fandom becoming sectarian and narrow. Um, and we should talk about sort of where the boundaries of that are and, and how weird it is. Um, but... And I'm like, I really don't want to be dismissive of this stuff, right? Because, like, it is super important to a lot of people, but it also just can get so icky. Case in point, uh, the, the, you know, the, the Lapidot folks sort of accused uh, Lauren Zook of, of of baiting them and sort of, you know, flashing before their eyes uh, the possibility of a, of a relationship that they wanted to see on the show but then probably wouldn't. And it, and it got so ugly that uh, this artist ended up deleting her Twitter account. Um, which, you know sucks that she felt the need to do that and and sucks that you know we don't all get to enjoy her tweets and sketches and stuff and it was just like this really strange clear example of of fandoms uh, turning sort of toxic and I I think maybe fan entitlement is a too broadly applied theory but this is a pretty clear example of that that they were not seeing the narrative they decided they wanted on the show and they needed to launch a consumer rights movement to make it so yeah that's gross
1: (laughs) No, I, I would agree. Uh, the art, I think, I think it's, it's the same article. Um, I, I read two: uh, the Phantom is broken, and uh, the Vox one. Um,
0: yeah, so the Phantom is so broken. It was written by Devin Faraci for uh, Birth, Movies, Death, and he's talking uh, more broadly about the idea of fan entitlement and people thinking that you know the dish should be made to their specifications when they order it, like like pop culture is a restaurant. Uh, when, yeah. when in fact, if you're going to go out for a nice meal, you trust the chef, and that's that's kind of part of the part of the fun.
1: Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I'm sorry if I'm, you know, referencing one or the other and I, I'm not sure which, but yeah, they, they, they talked about, uh, about that component of it about, yeah, that interaction with the, um, with the author. And it's not like it used to be where, you know, there was that removal or, you know, I think one of the articles mentions that, you know, it took time to write a letter. And so back in the day, uh you know you weren't hearing the same level of outpouring about you know decisions being made or things being done and there wasn't the same level of interaction and uh the article asserts that you know what should have been the greatest thing for you you know uh media consumers which is you know the sort of uh (laughs) uh, proverbial uh you know you know breaking of the wall between uh creator and uh, consumer where the two can interact and, you know, really, like, you, you know, have fun with it, it sort of became, yeah, more of, like, a a voice for those who strongly disagree and want this specific thing, you know? Um, so, like, yeah, the, the shipping thing with Steven Universe is interesting because it's the kind of show where, you know, being, being a sort of, uh, I guess you could say, for lack of a better word, shipper myself in the past with certain... Uh, things uh, I can understand where people are coming. No, wait from. a minute. Wait a minute. Let's let's not let that pass. What would you say you were a shipper about in the past, with Steven um, Universe or
0: with something else? No, with other things. With Steven, I mean. So as I've gotten, so okay. Um, <laughs> I, I know this is a rabbit hole, but I think it's probably an important one because again, yeah. I don't want it to be that we're just sniping this whole way of being in the world <laughs> from the outside. We're both nerds, right? Yeah. So I'm so, trying to think. So, so I, what do you, what do I'm you just trying
1: in? to think of how to carefully phrase this because I don't want it to sound like I'm saying. Because it's gonna it's gonna sound like I'm saying oh well I'm beyond that now so so I used to take I, I guess um, <laughs> so I'm
0: totally open to the possibility that the whole reason this is weird to us is that we're old so we'll, we yeah. will maybe get so, to that but
1: okay so so as I've evolved I guess as an artist for lack of a better word uh, you know I, I play music I, I kind of fancy myself something of an occasional writer um, I used to draw a lot. Uh, as I've gotten older, I've under, I've have come to learn and understand that art is very much an expression of yourself. I mean, I, that seems like an you know like it's obvious, but you know it didn't occur to me until I saw all of these people's stories and things being you know criticized to the point of uh, I guess death threats <laughs> and such that there's a really clear distinction between what you want versus what you get versus what makes sense. So let me I, let me move in steps if you really want me to kind of break this down, and I'll try to do it keep it. Somewhat simple, so I don't think this become a long winded thing. So, the earliest example I can think of, of a, uh, let's say of, uh, let's, let's, let's use the series Naruto. Naruto's a really interesting series because, um, it to me it Can I jump in for, for one really... second and say that the yeah.
0: very first comment on, uh, uh, that I saw, like, on any message board about, about this whole Lauren Zook thing was, oh, come on, the Steven Universe fandom isn't that bad. Just look at the Naruto fandom.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, uh,. <laughs> So to me, uh, Naruto started off really strong as far as, you know, a a series being about outcasts and, uh, you know, obviously it followed the typical shonen um, archetype that had been laid out before it as far as like Dragon Ball and stuff. But it had a few little ticks that to me made it stand out, like, you know, uh, the fact that the primary character wasn't immediately the strongest. Like, you know, the typical shonen sort of, uh, I guess... uh, uh, God, uh, story layout is, you know, your, your central character is the strongest at the beginning, then meet someone who is stronger and realize, oh, there's this whole other world and then gradually become stronger. But at some point they're always the strongest until they encounter the next challenge. What was really cool to me about Naruto when it started was that, you know, the primary character was the weakest, um, was sort of a, you know, a, a scrub. He, he couldn't keep up with all of these other people around him, both, you know, peers and adults who were just so much better and he wanted to be better. Uh, and the series, you can see it naturally growing that way. And, and anyway, all that just to say that the second part goes completely off the rails and it becomes about wizards and, uh, they don't say that, but it is, it's not about, it. it's just anymore. Uh, anyway, um, all so of this stuff, I, I, I should stipulate that I don't know shit about Naruto. So you, I'm, don't, I'm, need you don't need to, you don't need to for me to get to my point. I was just sort of kind of providing the fact that I started off liking the series. And one of the things that I did get invested in was who this character, because we're watching him grow and he does have romantic interests is going to end up with, I, I did become invested in that. And this, and if you've to people who are familiar with the series, there's two characters who were kind of in the front running one who kind of he was on who this girl he really liked from the beginning, who was always super cold and mean to him, but over time became, you know, grew to respect him and view him as a friend. Um, versus this other girl who always had admired him, but he didn't really know existed. And any, anyway, all that just to say that I was invested in in shipping the characters that made the most sense. So as the series went on and on and on, to me, it became clear that there's a character he should end up with as far as like where you're going and what kind of story you seem to be wanting to tell. But then once it goes off the rails, I was kind of like, it was hard to be invested in. I wanted him to end up with this character, uh, but he didn't. And to me, it was a weakness of the series, but I never felt compelled to like participate in the sort of outcry that resulted from that because people were literally, when the series ended and he ended up with whoever he ended up with there, you know, there was a little epilogue, um, people were pissed and that was really kind of hilarious to me because to me i had already kind of dismissed the show like or the the comic i should say because that's where it started it's like eh you know it's whatever at this point like you know what this what the what the comic started as is not necessarily where it ended up and it's not necessarily a well-told story because it has to be written every week and you know so much of the comic i don't even remember just because it's just Goes off the rails in terms of what it's doing. And, you know, there's another character, which is a whole other conversation entirely that's supposed to be sympathetic, but he's just a total asshole. And if you, man, if you want to talk like, you know, sort of quote unquote, like rape apologist, like there's this character who's just the worst to everyone around him and is redeemed in the end, but it, it, it makes no sense. And anyway, um, Getting back to what we're talking about. Yeah, he didn't end up with whoever and that was fine. Um, And then the second thing is I recently read, and this is referenced in the articles about fandom, I recently read Harry Potter with my daughter and finished the whole series. Um, Not being a part of the hype, I can say pretty confidently that J.K. Rowling, she's, she's okay. You know, people would probably decry me and I've gotten into arguments with this with people because they did read it during the hype and they're like, oh, no, she's a blah, blah, blah. She's fine. She's okay. She's not amazing. You know, I think I don't I don't think I need to make my case. I think that her experiment after Harry Potter makes its case for it, which if you're not familiar with it, just, you know, a brief uh, a brief explanation. She released a book that she did. She used a pseudonym. Because she didn't want to coast off of her Harry Potter. She wanted to, you know, her Harry Potter fam- uh, fame. She wanted to just kind of start fresh. And the book was lukewarm received. It sold maybe like a thousand copies. And people were like, yeah, this book's okay. And then the publishers freaked out and were like, okay, we're losing money. And then they convinced her to put her real name on it. And then after that, the book's, you know, uh, retrospective reviews were like, oh, this is great. And, you know, it sold a million copies or whatever. Anyway, JK Rowling's this fine. This was the, uh, the casual guest, is that what it was called? Yeah, like? something like that, yeah. yeah. She's she's an okay writer. It's it's a book for kids. The kids grew up with the characters. It's it's okay. It's it's not amazing. It didn't, you know, it, it's it it's fine. It's fine. But all that just to say that, you know, when at reading it myself, um to me, it made sense that, he, that Harry would end up with Hermione just because of the character interaction. And I understand that I think a part of her wanting to be – to maybe stand out as a writer – I can only stipulate because I'm not her uh, – was to kind of go against that grain where your you know, primary male character and your primary female character don't have to end up together just because they do. Um, and in fact, I think she wanted to maybe depict to young readers that like, hey, it's okay to love or like someone – who might not necessarily seem like the best choice? You, we can't control our feelings, and sometimes the person we love is just the person we love, and that you know what I mean. And props to her oh, for that. Yeah. But but from a narrative perspective, it just kind of didn't make sense to me. It felt forced, and so I disagree with that. But obviously, there's uh, it was apparently this huge fallout that I'm unaware of because I you know read the books after the fact. Um, so I'm saying all of that just to say that I've been invested in sort of quote unquote ships and like relationships I'd like to see play out, but the big the big dissonance for me is I I don't understand. I've never been compelled to say this is how it should have been, or rather I do say that, but I say that in the context of a conversation about this is why the thing failed. And that's fine. That's what art is supposed to do. As far as I understand it, you know, we're supposed to talk about where it worked and where it didn't, but it, to me, a community saying, this is how it should end up. And then, and then an artist saying, Oh, okay, I'll do that. Then it doesn't become a story anymore. It's just a weird sort of, choose your own adventure and that would you know i'd rather take something that uh you know our, our friend uh ian who i i can't, you've been on a podcast before with you know he likes to say and i agree with this uh i'd rather watch an ambitious mess than something that's safe and mediocre and fine you know what i mean and so totally and the corollary to that is i'd rather watch
0: something that uh confidently goes in directions that I think are, are bonkers than something <laughs> that is sort of catering to me, you know, like everyone yeah, deserves to exactly. be pandered to. And I don't know that there's anything wrong with that, but I feel like, uh, I think it might've been film crit Hulk who said that sort of, we consume all media, like it's porn now, like, like, <laughs> yeah. that oh, it's, that's a really
1: good analogy. Yeah.
0: That the goal, there's nothing wrong with, with porn, but, but not everything in the world does or should exist to gratify you. You know, that's
1: not the primary function of media or of art or of, or of whatever. Well, in case in point, so like I shared with you, you know, my, my sort of, it should have been this way theory about, uh, you know, the, the arc of Anakin Skywalker and how he became Darth Vader and why I feel like (laughs) I would watch, would watch. (laughs) Yeah. and, And why I feel like the character sort of should have been black and then, you know, changed a few other things and it would have made more sense as far as like, you know, if you want to play around with star Wars being allegory, you know, uh, And so, but but obviously that that's you know to me the gratification came from sharing it with someone and someone saying wow that's a really good idea that's fun you know I feel like I'd be off my rocker if I like email George Lucas and I'm like I'm gonna come to your ranch and kill you unless you cast you know I don't know Donald Glover as you know the new Anakin Skywalker in a remake of the prequels like am I fucking nuts like that's the part where there's this weird dissonance with the whole fandom thing so I don't know that I have a really I don't know that I have anything constructive to say about it in a sense. I mean, it sounds very dismissive and I don't mean to be, but it's kind of like get over it. I I don't know where we go from here. I mean, I think the article even asserts that, like kind of not sure how to reconcile this. This is sort of a weird state that we found ourselves in. Yeah,
0: well, there's two sides of it, right? On the one hand, there's just the thing where we're no, it's not okay to issue death threats against people who make what you like. I don't know why we have to say that out loud, but (laughs) but, that's a little weird. Um, But but it seems we do. Then the other side of it is the idea of, again, of wanting to have everything cooked to your specifications. Um, Devin Farachi in the Fandom is Broken article talks about talking to a younger uh, Captain America fan who says that what she really wants out of those stories is just to see Steve Rogers, you know, get what he wants and be happy. Yeah. And that's precisely the opposite of interesting drama, right? Uh, so <laughs> so so it's it's interesting, right? Like uh, to, to what degree I mean th- this is a you know, tale as old as time, right? To what degree is is a is a, an artist's aim or goal or responsibility to, to give the people what they want and to what to, to what degree is, you know, is a is a great artist or whatever going to give people something they didn't know they wanted. Yeah. Um, I, I think the latter certainly is always more exciting to me, but it seems like we've got more and more people, uh, or, or maybe just more, you know, maybe just louder people. Maybe they've just become louder who, who really do want to have their, their media be in service of them. And yeah, like you say, I don't really know where we go from there, but I do think that gives us a really good segue or a really good place to to stop till the next time when we talk about dark souls. Because that's yeah. definitely a series that people loved for being weird and stubborn and, and arguably broken <laughs> in a whole bunch of interesting ways. <laughs> oh, no, it's, ways. it's
1: super broken in a bunch of great ways, yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and that's what's great about it. And and over the course of the series, it's become less broken, uh, more functional, uh, more indulgent to its fans, and still great, let's be clear, but arguably less interesting because of the affordances it's made. So it's it's maybe... Uh, the right way to talk
1: about, you know, where, where we're at. You would say less interesting. Really? You mean, I'm, I'm, and I'm just curious what you mean. Like you mean mechanically or you just mean uh, the whole, the whole, uh, the whole thing. What I'm talking about is soul's fatigue.
0: Um, so I was talking to uh, our friend fuzz about this. So fuzz and I, I will say uh, one of the games we love more than anything is the very, can first I, can I, can
1: I be, can I be in that group now too? Cause I love that game okay that's true oh we played yeah yeah we played that when we were we yeah, played yeah, it totally. together okay that, so you're in was, the club that was why I decided to approach Dark Souls again and you were totally Shit, right that's it's, true. it's the same game for the, in a lot of ways I wrote a piece forever ago about how they are in fact the same game and
0: why the, <laughs> I realize now why I was so afraid of The Legend of Zelda when I was a kid <laughs> but um even I just heard the music and I would just have to leave the room when my dad was playing so I was just like ah the scary game uh, but, but anyway um, yeah so you're definitely in the club now um, but and by the way, I got over it, and I, we played we we played the whole first game with me sitting on his lap. He was mostly playing, and, and then I remember when a Link to the Past came out, it was pretty much me pulling the strings, and it felt felt damn good. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, so so f- you know, we, we love that game more than more than uh, life itself. I think. <laughs> um, I don't know about that. It's a great game, right? And and what's great, great about it is that. It is. Stu- we love it more than air and water and oxygen. It's it's <laughs> it's a great game, specifically because it's weird and it had to sort of figure out how to give you this grand adventure without being able to convey the kind of stuff that a modern Zelda or most modern games would would clearly spell out for you how stuff works and where stuff is and, and things like that. When you encounter it, you you know a lot of people are just it's you are going to decide it's not for them or it's too unyielding or whatever and they're going to go away. But if you get into it, it's going to be like life changingly lovely. The first Dark Souls is like that for me. Um, you know, like, I, the first time I played it, I was very convinced that that people were just, like they, that it wasn't for me, that I was, that it, that it, like, there was something interesting going on, but I wasn't going to see it through, because it was just a little bit too punishing. Um, I rented it for the Xbox, and I got, I think, as far as the lower Undead Berg, and I got mauled by those zombie dogs, and I was like, yeah, fuck this, I'm done. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, or maybe I got to the Capra Demon, I don't know. Um... And I went back and I got you know super super into it and I think uh, a <clears throat> a lot of people uh, a lot of people have this story where they they dropped off and then came back and then became devotees of the series uh, Yahtzee, the zero punctuation guy definitely definitely had that moment I didn't realize that that had happened
1: to you. I thought I was the only one that it happened to because I because no that, that's that, what that happened definitely to <laughs> happened to me
0: and at this point I've played uh, I've still never played uh, Demon Souls which I know makes me a casual um, by anyone <laughs> filthy uh, you know, real serious filthy casual. Standards. I no filthy, filthy casual. I don't have a PS3, and Sony won't, you know. <laughs> anyway, uh, so they, uh, you know, I've, I've played all the others multiple times though, including Bloodborne. Wait, and wait, back uh, up, love
1: back them. up. As another side, you, you can't play a PS3 game on a PS4. No. Oh my god. Okay, keep going. I'm, I'll save that for There's later. no
0: backwards compatibility. <laughs> There's some that they have remastered oh for the PS4. Uh, god of War Three, uh, Last of Us, a few others. But you ah. no, The PS4 is not backwards compatible with PS3 games
1: huh okay the
0: only uh the only console maker that did backwards compatibility for real this generation was Nintendo I
1: believe yeah no I know but it's only one i I <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's anyway crazy. So. well I, and I guess there
0: are <laughs> Xbox like slowly the Xbox one is becoming able to play uh 360 games but it's yeah. it's not across the board it's not it's not like the Wii U where you can just pop any Wii game into it and it plays you know um, <laughs> anyway so okay, so that was a very long walk but the the, the point I was uh, I believe making was so fuzz and i were talking about uh zelda fatigue right which is a very real thing like diminishing returns where Z- and, and and ego raptors of course talked about this bowling. very very uh eloquently what were we saying it's got bomb bowling this bomb god bomb bowling <laughs> bomb
1: bo- Yeah. Anyway, uh, bur- <laughs> so
0: yeah. i we both love that video and i think i've linked to it a bunch of times um and he should really put out another one damn it yeah. um yeah I think film. actually that one came out the morning I did a podcast, I think when I was talking to the guys who made a, a, Liz- a Wizard's Lizard, Um ah. we like stopped recording to watch it and then came back, uh, or, <laughs> or we watched it right after or something. But anyway, uh, so Zelda fatigue is real, um, and part of it is that the design of the games has gotten kind of stale, uh, it looks like they're actually trying to address that pretty directly with uh, Breath of the Wild, the new one, um, they've, they've talked a lot about trying to capture the magic of the first Zelda, they've talked a lot about open uh, openness, open worlds, things like that. But a lot of the um, fatigue or a lot of the diminishing returns with Zelda, Fuzz and I tend to think, has more to do with just already knowing how all of the tools work. You know, like, you know, there's going to be a bow and a boomerang and bombs and whatever. And because that stuff's not weird anymore and there's nothing to figure out, it's just it can't ever be as interesting or as confusing or as scary or as weird or as good as as the first one or the first couple of ones. Mm hmm. All of that to say, boy, that was a long digression. But the Soul series is going through something really similar, uh, where when you when you play the first game, and you know, you know, like, well, what the fuck is humanity, and what does that do, and why is Souls my own? Why are Souls my only currency? What the fuck is an Estus flask? Uh, how do any of these weapon upgrades work? Uh, why am I why am I sometimes a crispy zombie and sometimes not? And like, <laughs> yeah. what's that number in the corner and shit like that? That sort of they 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 have not done that much or they haven't made it their primary goal to keep that sense of wonder and discovery in the later games in the series it's sort of piggybacked on the on the expectation that you already know about all that stuff and then given you new stuff to do within that framework dark souls mm-hmm. 2 and 3 i'm talking about bloodborne actually um took an interesting approach which is it, it had a lot of the same stuff but it just called it by different names and made it work just differently enough that you did have to relearn or unlearn certain things uh just little things like how there's no shields um so you have to be a lot like your shield is a gun basically you can parry with your gun but you can never block so you have to be really really aggressive like uh and 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 there's there's other uh, mechanics that are designed to make you aggressive there's this thing called the rally system where when an enemy including a boss uh takes some of your health you have a couple of seconds to get it back by taking that amount of damage from them um so you're encouraged to be more aggressive than you probably should be uh and it's great because <laughs> it feels desperate and and fast and, and it's you know it's awesome but these are all sort of theme and variation things right like they're they're ways yeah. of making it feel fresh or like prolonging the inevitable it's not the same thing as something being new you know and this is why i'm excited to see like i you know whatever new souls they make i'll play let me be totally just upfront <laughs> about that well, right but i'm really excited to see from software make something different cuz there's yeah. no way to sort of like n- not only is it probably impossible to bottle that lightning twice and and make something that just hits you the way that, that that does the first time you experience it but i don't know that that's been their priority even i don't know that they're trying to create that feeling that that wall that you crash into the first time you play a souls game in later ones and and maybe they're right not to do that but it but well, something would...
1: maybe gets I'm sure I know. I think we're trying to wrap up a little bit, but I, I would just posit this question because this is a whole other different discussion. But where does that become a matter of, you know, uh, brand recognition versus something different? Like if you if you if you make. If you start off with a new Dark Souls game and you're making it so different is it still Dark Souls if there are things that are unrecognizable but also fun and like you know encourage that sense of exploration and newness or has it now become something different and well it's not Dark Souls you know I think that's probably where the Yeah, line I mean gets that's that's tricky. super
0: interesting, right? From a brand recognition perspective, it's it's almost two different questions, right? Like what does someone need uh to to purchase a, a product with the dark souls logo on it and not feel like they've been cheated as a consumer right and like or like or like lot, even with how... the,
1: oh yeah i no, don't finish
0: no i was just gonna say with everything from games to podcasts like when every single object we interact with in daily life is either a product or an advertisement for one it, you know it just it gets it starts to feel a little bit oppressive um to me right and like to, to me, what's cool about uh, like indie games and weird stuff on, on Itch.io and stuff is, is that you can just take a shot in the dark and say, oh, okay, I'm giving someone some money for something they made, but my relationship for them... I, I feel this way with Cube World, too, right? We bought Cube World way back when it was in alpha, <laughs> and it hasn't really been updated since. Yeah. Uh, and it will be eventually, I, I think. I believe in my heart. Um, but I, <laughs> I still feel like we've already gotten our, our 20, 20 euros or 20 bucks or whatever it was worth of fun. Cube World 2030. Yeah, some, something like that. And, 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 like, I, in a weird way, I appreciate that our interaction with, with Wole and his wife, you know, the creators of the game, is not one of, like, a, a company and a customer. They're not in the customer service business. They're just making a thing. And if you want to pay to help them develop it and try it out, then you can. And, like, that more casual, messy stuff, I think, is important. You know, like, something gets lost when everything has to go through 27 layers of corporate branding. And you've got to think about brand recognition when you can't just make a thing. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I mean, like, Dark Souls may be in the same trap as Zelda, where if it didn't have a guy in a green pointy hat and a tunic, and and it didn't have bombs and whatever, then it, it wouldn't be Zelda, you know, even if it captured the spirit that you were looking for.
1: Yeah, Dark I Souls mean, that's, that's what I was thinking, like, what if... A
0: corner with Estus flasks and things, but I think that is
1: a corner it's painted itself into. I don't think that's good, you know? Mm-hmm. I was thinking the opposite might be fun, like, what if you the newest Zelda game was not advertised as a Zelda game? Like, what if... Uh... And what if they kind of played on the uh, – I guess you could say like the tropes of the older games or maybe like less recognizable aspects of the game? Like what if you – what if Nintendo was like, oh, we're releasing this game and it's called Island or something and it's about this uh, brown-haired – and the brown hair is important – brown-haired young man who wakes up on a beach and has no idea who he is or where he came from or what he's doing here. And you're gradually exploring the island and finding tools and like let's say – It takes like 20 hours. I hate measuring games in terms of hours, but let's say like halfway into the game, you find – let's see. Think of something like recognizable but not too recognizable. Like halfway through the game, you find um, a flute somewhere on this island, and then it's gradually revealed to actually be a Link who was like sailing somewhere or something like that, but it doesn't start off that way. I think that's that would.
0: I mean, if they could pull that off, that would be. I mean, like do <laughs> but, like a PT thing where it's like, oh, "Holy shit, I'm playing a Kojima game." Like you know, like a or uh, you know, where, where you slowly realize the thing that you're actually experiencing. If Nintendo could really like, it's a new intellectual property, and it was a, a covert Zelda game, that would be incredible.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and I said brown hair because at one point I think Link in the design did have brown hair, at least for certain games. But that would make him less recognizable than you know, like a. Uh, blonde hair or whatever. Yeah. Current, anyway, uh, current,
0: yeah. the current design, which is like Twink Link, which I say that you
1: know with with uh, with all
0: you know, I have no issue Whoa, with the design man. whatsoever. But uh, that is, he, he's become very twinky the last couple of games, so it's, it's, it's okay. Oh, I have man. zero problem with it. It's just definitely been because he, he you know he was kind of this short squat you know like, like, like he was very childlike in the drawings for the first uh, the first Zelda. And then he was supposed to have grown up for the second one and then Link to the Past, you know, the comics. I think that's where he had brown hair, right? The first, like, three, maybe. I have uh, I, I, yeah. them right over here. I could go check. They're reprinting Super Mario Adventures, by the way, right? So hopefully a Link to the, link oh, to the Past boy. comics will be next because they're great. Um, But, yeah, no, I totally hear you. Like, there's a point where brand recognition is a trap. And that, that shouldn't even be a, a, you know, like, duh. <laughs> like, duh, of course, when, <laughs> when the brand comes before whatever creative vision you have, of course that's going to get weird. Dark Souls is especially um, strange in that way because I, I, I think uh, uh Hidetaka Miyazaki, who is sort of the mastermind of the series or whatever, the the main creative voice, his whole deal is that like you think about how the world should work and then you build the world around it. You couldn't have like you know Dark Souls cart racing like you you like there's no way to just <laughs> you sort could of, not play the I mean, shit out of that. <laughs> you could it would actually be kind of a great parody thing to do. But, uh... <laughs> Praise the sun, I won. Uh, but, it, you know, it's
1: just smog in like but... a tiny cart. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Like Ornstein on his back or something. Oh God, double. Or, 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 or if Ornstein falls off the track, then Smoke gets like a boost. Or, yeah,
0: anyway. um, you could do that, but it would be pretty antithetical to what's interesting about the series. You know, it well, be, yeah, uh, it would it would not be it would not be good. And I think I think he's even said like you couldn't really retrofit the Dark Souls world onto a different game because in his head, the way the world works and the way the story operates and what has actually happened in that world and what you're doing minute to minute are all like parts of the same whole. Like that's that's his whole that's his whole spiel. You know. Yeah. um, and that's why bloodborne is an interesting exercise because it takes some of those same elements, but sort of rebuilds it from the ground up where, you know, instead of uh, the, the sort of philosophical question behind it being like what if souls, what if the essence of life and the essence of sentience were like things you could have and trade and and, and fuck around with? It's it's like, what if what if like our, our destiny and our and our culture and our, our sentience were actually in our physical blood? And our being and our flesh, and like, what if what if the body and the soul weren't really separable? Ooh. Like, what would that do to a society?
1: I'll play that game one day. I think it's great.
0: It's great. Like, I I borrowed a friend's PS4 to play it, and then when I heard there was DLC, I'm like, fucking, I'm buying a PS4. Like, I yeah uh, yeah, I I went ahead and did that. Well, we'll leave it there for now. Uh, Happy to be back. Uh, this has been the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast, uh, Lucio. Closing words. Uh, we'll
1: try to do this more frequently.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, definitely more frequently than than a year. Uh, that's definitely yeah. going to happen. You may have noticed we're posting more. Uh, right, I've been posting a couple more uh, more articles. We're talking about some some current games that are coming out recently. Uh, you know, and things like that, and very timely. And I wrote about Pokemon Go even. Right, or is or is that already not timely anymore? I don't know for, <laughs> if that's, if the zeitgeist has passed on that one.
1: People will still love that game, I think. I mean, it's going to be an interesting experiment to kind of see where that goes because I, I, our friends—we uh, have one friend who's a game developer, and we have one friend who just likes to analyze the, I guess you could say, the societal trends of gaming. Um, and they were kind of trying to figure out if this is something that's going to be long-standing or if it'll be more like a flash in the pan. Because I could see it going both ways. I, I don't, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, the de- Niantic, the developer, is is doing their best to make sure it's a flash in the pan because they're really not supporting it the way they probably should. It's still buggy, and they haven't added trading, and they got rid of the tracking feature they built, and then shut down the third party ones, and then put in another new one that isn't as good. I don't anyway. It's it's a uh, weird
1: situation with Pokemon Go, but
0: we'll and Nintendo was- and
1: Nintendo has no stake in it, right? Like. I mean as far as they pretty much
0: just farmed it out and it was actually really funny to watch their stock double and then see people realize <laughs> that Nintendo didn't make the game and see the stock go back down
1: like yeah. pretty immediately
0: it's yeah. a it's a weird thing. Anyway, exciting times, lots of stuff to talk about. Um, so so uh, you know, you're, if if you're hearing this uh, soon after release, probably you're already subscribed, and thank you for it. Uh, but do feel free to subscribe using iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Podbay is still a thing. I checked. Uh, we're now Google Play. We're officially in the Google Play <laughs> Store. Uh, as oh of, wow! Uh, as of that becoming a thing, yeah, they have podcasts now. Uh, they clearly are still figuring because it's like music slash podcast or whatever. But anyway, I'll link in the thing. Uh, also, if you uh, if you were a member of an extremely serious fandom, uh, what you can do is ship this podcast with another podcast, uh, and for every day that those two podcasts don't end up in a canonical relationship, uh, you will receive uh, <laughs> another episode of the Hypothetical Podcast that doesn't exist that is in your head.
1: Do you, do you think there's someone who knows who we are in our circle, who maybe we're, we're just casual friends with who ships us? <laughs> I'm actually... I, hmm that Possible. never occurred to me just people that's who might hear impossible. the context of our relationship and how long we've known each other might ship us <laughs> my google alerts are turned up
0: pretty high so i think like if there was a deviant <laughs> art section for it i would probably know
1: but but uh oh no not not that extreme head, i just meant someone yeah that's what i meant it's just in someone's mind like <laughs> it's not impossible
0: hey if you ship us let us know we're genuinely genuinely curious um so send us send us a Purple prose we can't unimagine. Please, oh my god, <laughs> we can't unread. Or uh, if you're uh, if you're a little bit less you know uh, less uh, committed to that particular rabbit hole, you can always just find everything we do at
1: etao.wordpress.com. Thank you guys so much. Thank you.